Chapter Seventeen of Quiet Hints to Growing Preachers in My Study. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Quiet Hints to Growing Preachers in My Study by Charles Edward Jefferson. Chapter Seventeen. Discontent. When Paul assured the Philippians that he had learned in whatever state he was therewith to be content, he confessed a higher state of grace than many of the successors of the apostles have yet attained. Discontent may be said to be one of the prevailing sins of the ministerial world. How prevalent it is, the public does not fully know, for ministers who are discontented do not shout their dissatisfaction from the housetop. They write it in bulky letters and send it in sealed packages to their ministerial brethren. The number of preachers now wishing a change of pastorate cannot be accurately computed, but if all the facts were known, the world would be astounded. Men in the East, fretted by the stereotyped customs of fossilized communities, look with longing toward the West with dreams of the blessedness that must belong to ministers who can take a forward step without cracking their skull against a precedent. Toilers in the West, sick of the uncharted freedom of a population disinclined to submit to yokes either of God or men, wish themselves in the East, where church-going is an established custom, and life runs smoothly in channels made for it by the fathers. Preachers in rural places look with hungry eyes toward the city where pulpit gifts and graces meet with grateful appreciation. And preachers in one city look toward another city where the mountains have been apparently leveled, and the ways of the Lord have been made straight. Of a host of clergymen it may be said, as one has written of the patriarchs, that they are strangers and pilgrims on the earth, and declare plainly that they seek a country. In justice to the clergy it must be said that ambition is not generally the inciting cause of this restlessness. The popular impression that the average clergyman stands on tiptoe, eager to heed the beckoning of the first parish which offers a larger salary, or a softer bed of roses, is as malicious as it is false. The explanation of the desire to escape from one parish to another may usually be found in the fact that ministers, like other mortals, do not like to be uncomfortable, and one sees fewer brambles in a garden which some other man has cultivated than in the garden in which one works himself. Every parish has in it men and women with whom it is difficult to live, and every church has problems which are a burden to the heart. Some men are so constituted that they cannot carry heavy burdens, or face circumstances which prick like thorns. Their first impulse on the sight of any difficulty is to run. A man never knows a parish until he gets fairly settled in it. The years bring out the skeletons as the night brings out the stars. A few church skeletons are as terrible to a timid clergyman as graveyard ghosts to a small boy after dark. He may find to his dismay ancient quarrels which have been smouldering several generations, and which, at his first important movement, blaze out in a conflagration which threatens to burn up the church. He may find a set of rogues in his official board, or a good-sized pharaoh in the broad aisle. The church may be tied hand and foot by the pagan notions of a heathen clique, or the choir may be in a state of ferment sufficient to drive the spirit of devotion from every service. Gray-headed men with antique ideas may frown down every suggested step of progress. Capitious critics may carp at his theology, rhetoric, or necktie. Euodius and Syntyche may heat the atmosphere 
to torrid temperatures because they cannot be of the same mind in the Lord. Prominent pew-holders may give up their pews, and disgruntled workers may resign their offices. In short, the church may have so many devils in it as to lead the unhappy preacher to question whether by any amount of prayer and fasting on his part the unhallowed brood can be cast out. A man in such circumstances may honestly wonder whether he is the one who is intended to redeem Israel, or whether this particular parish ought not to look for another. There are times when the trouble is the outcome of an evident misfit. When this is the case, the minister should promptly shake the dust from his shoes, for there are other towns and cities in which the gospel must be preached. But a minister should not too hastily conclude that because things are not altogether pleasant, the Lord has need of him elsewhere. Unless the signs of an irreparable misfit are numerous and unmistakable, the minister ought to set his hand resolutely to the plough, and not look back until the furrow has been finished. It is not becoming in a prophet to run at the sight of trials. It shows fickleness of heart to accept a church, and then drop it in the first fit of despondency. If he accepts the care of a parish in need of a surgical operation, let him perform it, and give the wounds time to heal before he turns the patient over to a new practitioner. Honorable men will not toy with churches. There is something of the sacredness of marriage in the pastoral relation, and when once entered on, it is for better or for worse. Short pastorates are unfortunate both for pastors and people. They develop in clergymen and laymen dispositions hurtful to spiritual growth. If a man knows he has but a short time in a parish, he is tempted to do the things which are easiest and cheapest. He will not enter deeply into the hearts of his people, but will be in danger of looking upon all laymen as so many pawns to be manipulated in an interesting game of ecclesiastical chess. It is the long pastorate which draws on the fountains which are deepest, and which builds up in congregation and pastor those elements of character in which the New Testament exalts and rejoices. A man who expects to live with the same people through many years will have every incentive to be sane and industrious, far-sighted and true. He will not hesitate to enter upon schemes of education and training which can be completed only in long periods of time, and his life, blending more and more with the life of his people, will grow richer and fuller unto the perfect day. Be content wherever you are, my brother, and whether you abound or are in want, be not hasty to take up arms against a sea of troubles and attempt to end them by running away. For in that change of place what dreams may come, and rough awakenings who knows? It may be your present parish is obscure, but blessed is the man with grace sufficient to grow in the shade. It is said that the chief reason why the sugar maple makes up a great part of the native forest of New England is that the maple is willing to grow in the shade. It is taking precedence of all other trees, because a young maple is always in training ready to take the place of any tree which may die. Go to the maple, young preacher. Consider her ways and be wise. In a few years the great trees of the clerical forest will lie low, and your final place will depend in large measure on your present willingness to grow in the shade. End of chapter 17